1: Of the Sons Podcast. My name is
0: Kellen Olson, joined as always by Kevin Zimmerman. Hello, Kevin. Back to our roots. Yeah, we're back at the draft. It's just going to be kind of a cram here, a cram session, but we're here and we're excited for it. I meant that and the fact that
1: we're just podcasting now. Uh, if you missed it, we did a two and a half hour radio show on Monday. It was a holiday, but with the Bradley Beal trade happening on Sunday. Uh, we came in did a show and all of it can be heard on what you're listening this to so in the feed that you're hearing this from go back to the original page you were at you'll see one part which was an hour with Gambo and then the second part was more or less our podcast but just in a more segmented radio style form of your like nine to twelve minute discussions on uh, certain topics which is kind of more or less what we do, but more of a free-flowing scatterbrain style here on the podcast as opposed to that. I had a lot of fun. Did you?
0: Yeah. I also apparently just forgot that happened, and I was just talking about our roots of paying attention to the draft and not caring about good basketball.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I I would much rather be looking at uh, Bradley Beal and how he factors into the team right now instead of the draft. But at the same time, I am really happy to be back to our roots. I do love the draft this time of year. Uh, we are going to be getting into the draft and looking at uh, a combination of the discussion will be roles that we envision the team trying to fill and if there are prospects that make sense for for those roles. More, more so focusing on that than the prospects because to be honest, there are only a handful of prospects in the 20 to 60 range that Kevin and I are familiar with coming in. I was able to cram on uh, a, a guy or two in spite of the Bradley Beal trade, but only a guy or two, I was going to try and get in more Kevin. But, uh, you know, you know, when like your, your phone just randomly starts buzzing on that night, you have to cram for an exam, you know, it's like, someone's got an issue. Someone got broken up with, you have to be over there to bring them ice cream or whatever. You know what I'm saying?
0: You know, Man, you, Yeah. You were, you would get those as the good friend who has feelings and stuff. So, uh, <laughs> I would get, I would get different calls, but yes, I understand.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm the friend bringing ice cream, and then you're the friend bringing the beer, right? I guess like that's yeah, yeah, that's the more suitable thing. We, we both are needed. Both roles are needed, Kevin, to tease later on. You need multiple roles <laughs> and not just specialists who are shooters or defenders. Sometimes you need a little bit of everything. Let's start with some news at the top. The Suns have finalized their coaching staff. We've heard about a lot of these names already, but again, it is Frank Vogel as the head coach. Kevin Young retains his position as associate head coach. And then the assistants are David Fisdale, Quentin Crawford, Miles Simon, Greg St. Jean, John Lucas III, Drew Anthrop, and John Pastoric. All of those guys outside of Kevin Young are coming directly, not directly from the Lakers, but they were with the Lakers when Frank Vogel was there. Uh, the way that I put it on Twitter, Kevin, is that it's it's just a good sign whenever a coach can do that, right? Whenever they can bring over one, two, three, four, five, seven names. Uh, and, and some of those guys went to Dallas. Some of those guys went elsewhere. And when Frank Vogel gave them a call,
0: they they head on
1: over to the Valley now.
0: Yeah. I mean, that kind of looks like one of those situations where they all kind of had either year off or year somewhere else. That's Fizdale down. Um, obviously, the Kevin Young acquisition is the outlier of, of that group. And so he's going to have to integrate with a bunch of guys who already know each other. But yeah, I'm excited just to see um, a staff like know how to do this because they all have done it before. Basically, they've all taken over, again, a, a very similar roster to this one as far as uh, superstar construction and all that.
1: To go to the Bradley Beal trade, we have not had any parameters finalized. Again, it is Bradley Beal coming to Phoenix, and then the Suns are sending out Landry Schammett, Chris Paul, multiple second-round picks, and multiple draft swaps. We do not know where the— I would assume Landry Schammett is going to Washington no matter what, but we don't know where Chris Paul is going. I would assume all those picks and swaps are still going to Washington, but the main thing to figure out here— is where Chris Paul is going to go. I think that's what's holding this up, I, w- I would guess. Uh, and and as of right now, uh, in the last two hours, Sham Sharania reporting that the Wizards, Celtics, and Clippers are in a three way discussion that would send Chris Stapps Porzingis to Boston, Marcus Morris draft compensation to Washington, and Malcolm Brogdon to the Clippers. So that would be Malcolm Brogdon, Bones Highland, Norman Powell. Russell Westbrook, assuming he comes back. So would they need? It seems like one of Russell Westbrook and Chris Paul and not the other with Brogdon going to the Clippers. So are the Clippers a Chris Paul team now? Was that a reactionary thing that just happened this afternoon because they tried to figure out how to get Chris Paul and they, and they couldn't? I I don't see a scenario where Chris Paul is playing for the Wizards, Kevin. So would again, based on the way this information played out, Washington had to have been okay with the possibility of them just waving Chris,
0: right? I, I think so.
1: <laughs> that's what I'm scared. of. I'm like, Oh my God,
0: what's going to happen? Like, Oh, all of our assumptions about, he wants to be even near the West coast near family play for a contender. Like it just makes no sense. So I, that's, what's weird is the, I don't even remember who reported that they hoped Chris would join the wizards. Hope Chris would join them. And it's like, why, why would you think that? Um. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Do the Suns get looped in for that deal? Is the Chris Paul thing involved in that deal at all? Um. It's obviously affected by that deal since the Clippers are obviously a, a prime landing spot, we all thought. I think I think you can make a case that if he's going to be picking from minimum contracts elsewhere, then you could still take on Brogdon and then sign him to a minimum if he's waived, I guess. Because uh, that's two guys where you just want insurance policies and having a really good ball handler um but yeah it's it's all interconnected some cleanup there
1: malcolm brogdon was mentioned again this is a a strong talk. these are conversations that are not weak kevin they are (laughs) dialogues with oomph to them
0: they are i can't think of another word my coffee without with like some creamer but not completely black (laughs) i don't know You went the metaphor
1: route. I love it. We're we're, we're trying to fire on all cylinders here. Uh, To kind of connect this, let's say this trade does happen. Grogdon was a name that Gambo mentioned as a possibility for the Suns to look at as a Chris Paul replacement. I can't remember how much we talked about this on the podcast, but the Celtics never made sense to me as a DeAndre Ayton team, considering they have Robert Williams and Al Horford. Uh, Robert Williams is someone that would make no sense for the Suns to get because they'd be replacing an inconsistent center with an inconsistent center for different reasons. Robert Williams just can't stay healthy, and I don't know why Boston would ever want to trade Al Horford because Al Horford's really good. So I I understand what they're doing, and they're trying to add size, and that's what Porzingis does to come in there and, and why the noise was like a little bit there, I suppose. But... Again, I think like the main thing they're trying to figure out is how to make their center rotation and their big man rotation, not just so relying on only Al Horford, who at this age, at this standpoint, doesn't have enough to offer for to do your whole to have your whole center rotation set for just him, which is why Porzingis makes sense for them. So that ties up, uh, not ties up, but kind of more or less effectively ends a couple of things there. And then we talked about the Chris Paul angle on this. As well, it's just really interesting to see how those kinds of things tie in because we're going to talk about that Nuggets trade in a bit as well, too, right? Like, there's a couple of things going on here that you look at the Suns and wonder, like, if they were impacted by that at all.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't really know on the Aiden thing. Chris Haynes really kind of just said it on a Portland. Uh, I don't know if it was a podcast or radio program, but he basically said – the Celtics had called about DA. Um, But yeah, it doesn't make much sense because I I guess you could say Porzingis somehow just slides to the four. And then if you had a kind of a defensive center, you could play both of them and have good spacing still. And yeah, even, even without that trade going in, I just didn't see it with Aiton. So that's, That was interesting. Um, If the Suns really just had to dump money, I guess maybe the Celtics would think about it. If Al Horford's kind of nearing the end, um, I still think he's really good. Obviously, the age thing, you wonder about that and being available. But, yeah, I I don't really know what's to go into that regarding Aiton. Can I say a thing on DA? Yeah.
1: I think that it is we... I don't know. So, so we're talking about Deandre and if they should trade him, if they shouldn't, why they should, all that kind of stuff. It's if they're going to move him, they should move him before the draft, right? Like, I understand they can trade him in the third week of July. They can trade him at the trade deadline. They can trade him next season. All of these conversations with that kind of in mind. One, for the more long-term picture, looking at the trade deadline or looking at next season, ignore the fact that you're trading him because it doesn't work out, and if it doesn't work out, you just wasted another year of Duran and all that. And again, like, okay, yeah, you could trade him in February still, and this season wouldn't be dead, but you'd really have this – for the second straight season, you'd make a significant trade again in the middle of the season to alter your team's DNA and your core and what your identity is as a team. Like, that wouldn't make sense to me and then in the more short term if you are going to be making an eight and trade i think all of us can agree for the most part i will say for the most part that you are not going to be able to get let me phrase it this way two starters for one does that does that make sense <laughs> just to appease the, the the people who are not with you and i who believe that he still has some pretty solid trade value um but whatever you trade him for, knowing going into free agency what holes you have to potentially fill would be extremely valuable. And then if you trade him to a team that has an extra second round pick lying around that you could get, that would be important as well, which we which is what we are about to talk about. But my whole point that I wanted to make is I think that it's hardly been talked about how much it would benefit them to get if they are trading him to get it done now, to get yeah. it done within the next uh 26 27
0: hours that's a that's a really good point um i guess the value of him rehabilitating himself let's say it takes to february you maybe you get two rotation players but yeah maybe you don't um or two even quality top seven players on your team it's it's still risky and even if you get like one pretty good rotation player in salary and then a pick or two picks. Yeah. That's, that might be worth, you know, shooting more shots, I guess, is the way to phrase it. Um, or maybe, and then you have the full year to see if these guys can pan out and all that. So, yeah, I mean, I was running through the potential trades and even if you just trade them for basically pennies, you're going to get at least a draft pick back you free up the salary down the road, which again is still going to be really rough with the other three guys, but more manageable. Um, Like you put out the, the, I don't know if you want to get into this right now, but the Hornets trade with like Rogier, Cody Martin, um, and the 34th pick, I believe. And Mm -hmm. maybe that's asking too much, but even if you say just straight up DA for Gordon Hayward, like, I know Gordon Hayward has his own issues, but his salary is expiring. He would fit, I think, decently, not defensively great, but decently on the team. And, like, it's a decent rotation player. who averaged 15 points a game last year. Like, that's what sixth, I'm thinking.
1: Sixth man who closes out games if you're okay with the defense kind of thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and can... F- like just plays really good ball alongside connector. Yeah. Yeah. Connector. But you you get a second round pick even early second round. And that's like a return I would accept, I guess is what I'm trying to say.
1: Yeah. I think the return is going to be underwhelming for most people, no matter what it is. And I think that that's the part that I don't understand is if Kevin Durant was five years younger and Aiton wasn't coming off of the postseason that he was, I And just regular season in general, to be honest, I would understand the appeal in waiting and seeing what his value is and trying to get w- waiting to see if his value can shoot up a bit so you can get better return for him. But worrying about taking 40 cents, 30 cents, 20 cents on the dollar for him, I don't understand. I don't understand that because you you just need to be looking again flat out. What is your best chance at winning a championship this year? is it with him on the roster or is it not? And look, if they decide that it is ultimately then great, like go for it. But I I really don't believe it is. Even if you get minimal return for
0: him, I just don't see it. So also that that on top of what you need to fill out. To your point, to prove your point, I guess the reason we're hearing this all is not just because we're making assumptions. It's because people are putting out there that the market is hot. The market is cold. The market is just phone calls to inquire. Like we're hearing that because I think the Suns are trying to move him. <laughs> like and, it, and if he stays, if he
1: stays, that means the market was ice cold, right? There's no way, other way to interpret it, right? Yeah, ice I don't, cold. I don't see what else they would mean, you know. So we'll see. All right, Shams is breaking with that trade. It's more or less looking like. His first tweet, at least, is the same trade for now. So a notification, Kevin, where we don't have to run off to our desks and immediately break news. That was nice. My heart stopped for a half second, but we are good to go. Let's move on to the draft, bud. I've talked about this on a couple of episodes now, and I wrote a piece on it, but the core idea here is uh, people might see a headline of something about the Suns attacking the NBA draft, being aggressive about the NBA draft and going, well, how do they do that? They don't have any first-round picks they don't have any of these second-round picks anymore. Even, like, the swaps are going to play a factor. They just don't really have a lot to work with. But there are ways for them to still get something out of the NBA draft without even without even having picks going into the draft. And, I, and again, I'm going to remind everyone, you talk about trading, quote-unquote, all of your first-round picks. They still have their first in 24, 26, and 28. Like, it, the, you have to do the odd, even year kind of deal with these picks. So they are going to have that first round pick coming up at 24, which is something to keep in mind. But as well as the second round pick, the late second round pick in this draft, you can buy early to mid second round picks. It does not happen as often as you think. I looked back the last five drafts and I only saw it twice in in the first uh, 10 to 15 picks of the second round or the late first round. But there are ways in which to get into that portion of the draft. And this draft specifically As Sam Bassini tweeted back to me on Twitter and then also has pointed out in a couple of different spaces with his draft coverage on The Athletic, this is a good draft for wings, guards that have played three or four years that can help good teams right away. There's a lot of them. And so, Kevin, it is no surprise to see the Denver Nuggets now in possession of picks 29, 32, and 37. They're scared, rightfully so, uh it hasn't been reported that they're scared, Kevin. I, I don't <laughs> want to put emotions on them. They're they're certainly trepidatious, Kevin. Would you say that Bruce Brown might leave. I would be as well if I can only pay him eight million dollars a year and he's coming off the postseason that he did. But Denver, regardless of Bruce Brown's situation, honestly did something really smart where they got three of these picks and they can shoot on three wings. And we're gonna go through some names here in a bit. If they just hit on one, it's a grand slam because not only do they get a role player that's going to be useful for them on a cheap salary, but they just get a role player in general. They're not working under the restrictions that the Suns are by any means, but to use the Suns as an example, when I rolled out part one of our uh, draft guide prospect guide, kind of column, guys to keep an eye on name wise, these are the options for them adding depth, uh, Kevin, that they've got at least at this specific moment. We'll see with free agency tradable contracts going forward, but for, for now, they can trade DeAndre Ayton. They can use a $5 million trade exception. They can sign players to the veterans minimum. They can sign their own free agents. They can sign players to two-way contracts, which we're gonna be focusing on as well. And then they can get in on the draft. That's that's it. They don't really have many other options right now. So they have to be aggressive with the draft, two-way signings specifically. We've been harping on this for years. Once the second round gets under their way, once maybe the draft gets under way, the day before the draft, I don't know when the market really materializes, but teams are already really hyper focusing on potential undrafted guys or guys falling into the second round and calling them up and saying, "Hey, come play a two way for us. Come sign on a two way for us. You will have a chance to get minutes right away. And if it works out for you, this contract you can get off of it a year, two years, three years in, and as long as you're not an absolute idiot like Lou Dort's agent." You will sign a deal that is very good for you. And by the way, Lou Dort got paid after that. So like it was really nice for him. It worked out in the end. But you remember that initial deal that he got? Uh
0: no. How terrible it was? Am I thinking of the right guy? I I remember something was wonky about Lou Dort. but But anyway, the point
1: the point is the appeal in those two-way contracts is that there's not a ton of years on them, and you can really get to a point where you're in a solid spot. Yeah, he signed a four-year extension, uh, a four-year deal worth $5.3 that was uh, rough. But then he got a five-year $82.5 million extension, which was more along the lines of what he should have gotten, essentially. And that is starting to kick in for him next season. And you look at a guy like Austin Reeves, who we talked about on the podcast uh, in that draft class, Kevin, as someone that that I liked in that range of the draft, that is one of my few hits alongside a whole lot of misses. So I'm not trying to pad the stats here by any means. He's going to make a whole lot of money this, this off season. And that's because he signed a two way and he got to a team where the fit was there and he knew he was going to have a chance to get minutes right away. And so there's going to be a lot of talented guys who are off the board right away. And they're looking at it and they're in the forties and then, and they're fit in the fifties and Charlotte or San Antonio or Orlando or Detroit is like, Hey, do you want to come play for us? Like we're we have this second round pick and they're looking at these teams that have five, six, seven young wings that they're trying to get playing time with as well. Or they could go to a really good team that doesn't have anyone. The Suns can present their depth chart to Keontae Johnson out of Kansas state and say, Hey bud, I know you're about to go in the forties, but we don't have a power forward on the roster behind Kevin Durant. Like we, we don't have wings. We don't have any. So you can come in here, impress in training camp, play minutes on a contender right away, and then get paid in a year or two. And guess what? We can be the team to pay you, too. Look at how much money we're paying. Do you, am, am I making the right pitch here, Kevin? Does it make sense? Yeah, for sure. So th- that's that's the two ways specifically, but there is the mid there's the early second round to the late first round, which the Suns can get in on, too. They do have the 52nd pick. Now, Gambo is saying, not saying, rather, he's reporting that the Suns will maintain a second-round pick in this year's draft after the Bradley Beal trade. They just don't know if they're going to have their own 52nd pick or the 57th pick that Washington has right now. Um, that That's not really... Uh, Gable's been saying on the air that like they got to get this deal done before the draft because they don't know when their pick is that that would make more sense to me if there was a gap of 15 20 selections but it's five I'm sure they'll be fine and I'm sure they'll get that part of the trade at least ironed out by that time in the draft so they know who's picking for who and that's going to be fun Kevin if we don't have details of the trade yet and 52 comes up and we're like is this the Wizards pick or the Suns pick that'll be a fun dynamic <laughs> of the night that we hopefully don't have to deal with and the trade details come down in uh in time but Do you see the uh, route here, Kevin, to picking up a useful rotation player or two that we've been talking
0: about? Yeah, I mean, I think the 50s is going to be a huge swing. Um, That's just going to be talent deficient. The two-way guys, like you said, are going to be taking calls already about not getting picked, um, but maybe there. But I I honestly think it will take – Maybe moving up. And that's tough just because, again, like the last five picks, there aren't many good teams. I believe after Memphis at 25, um, all the good teams have sold their picks or traded their picks, I guess, to, you know, like the Charlottes. Um, The Pacers have a few. Nuggets, I guess, now do have a few. Um, But they're going to maybe use them, you'd think. So for the Suns, I think it's like, can you – either package whatever the 50th second or 57th pick, maybe cash on top of it and move up a little bit into the forties, mid forties, even in the thirties. I don't know how likely that is. Um, but again, to the point of Matt Ishbia is finding ways to spend around the rules. And if you spend on cash considerations to acquire a second round pick, even when you give that pick their first contract, uh, it's still going to save you millions and millions when you compare it to vet minimum contracts that go on the books um, and you're paying taxes on that. So like maybe Matt Ishpied really doesn't care about paying all those taxes, but I think there has to be a little bit of a healthy balance on getting in on this draft and starting to build up like role players who are going to be cheap role players who you can develop role players who are healthy young men who can play basketball and defend and shoot and won't get hurt because you can't fill out a whole roster of just vets. I don't think that's the best idea to limp your way into the post season. So I, I think they really got to be active as far as making the phone calls, at least getting a rookie using the two ways, maybe getting two rookies. Even I will be, very i'll set the bar
1: low just because this is the start of them doing this kind of stuff i they need to at least either buy a pick or make an immediate two-way signing i think it's one of those two things and again i'm i think people listening will think i'm overrating the two-way market and specifically what happens but there are good prospects that are there at the time and guys who can work out in the nba like i i understand once you pick in the 40s and 50s but again Certain guys fall. Lou Dort was not supposed to go undrafted. He went undrafted. I think the same can be held for Austin Reeves. Let's play a little exercise here, Kevin. Again, we're not extremely familiar with the prospects as a whole. So instead of focusing on names specifically, we're going to go through some roles that I highlighted. Somebody like Jaime Hawkes Jr. out of UCLA, I painted the role, for example, of having a wing connector that can just make the right play 100 times out of 100, because so much of the focus is on on-ball defense right now for that guy that's going to play between the big three outside of center, the fourth perimeter player, essentially. On-ball defense, rightfully so, getting a lot of focus, but I think there's a lot of other areas that they could look to fill with this spot, and they could play different roles in there. So, Hawkes uh, again, just a connector who makes the right play every time, plays super hard. Brandon uh, Twist here, Kevin. Pojemski, that's how you say it. I looked it up. I was was not even close last time, so a lot of people are going to be saying that wrong. Pojemski out of Santa Clara is a shooter with a whole lot of scoring attached to him and an undersized guard. So you're looking at secondary offense there. Ben Shepard out of Belmont, your more traditional 3 and D wing, a, a little bit iffy on the defense. He's a little small, weighs under 200 pounds, things like that, but he can shoot it. Andre Jackson Jr. out of Connecticut is maybe my favorite prospect I've looked at uh, in this draft outside of Wemby. I think Wemby is everyone's favorite prospect, rightfully so. Uh, but he is just the non-shooting wing that does, like, everything outside of non-shooting wing. Marcus Sasser out of Houston is another guy who, um, in the Pojemski kind of area, shooter, scorer. He can really defend, though, which is a thing for him. But again, like, off-ball guard. Uh, Kobe Brown more in the uh, four small ball five role, but a connector again, Julian Strother out of Gonzaga, more of a shooter, Jalen Clark, more of a, just an out and out point of attack defender. What are you looking at specifically? Not only just with the draft of for agency in terms of a role that you would like to see them address. Cause again, I think everyone's focusing on point of attack defense. And I understand why, but they need
0: basketball players. They don't just need specialists. That's a good point. Um, It has to be at the wing though, more for me. Um, I think you can pick up some guards on the market. Um, but just how the wings valued in the league, like you can pull up that list again and of free agents that we had on the uh, live pod the other day. It's just not super enticing. Like, is there Will Barton there? I don't know, but you got to load up on multiples of that. Um, so I think that is just any forward spot is where you're really going to need it. Like wing, yeah, those the the stars are going to be playing a lot, but you still need a body or two. But uh, you just need complementary pieces there. Um, so, Jaime Hawkins, I he got a Green rune invite, so I don't even know if that means he's top twenty now, and that's I think way out of the Suns' his range. But they he's invited
1: good... twenty six guys, Kevin. Okay. Some families are going to be there for like two and a half hours. These (laughs) monsters.
0: But no, he's like the, is Jared Dudley a good comp? At least from a, at least from a, at least from a, like in, in college for all the people who happened to watch Jared Dudley in Boston college, he was more of like a four, a big, um, and somehow Craig Smith, man. Yeah. And like, that's where Hawkes, yeah, he's going to have to play more as a wing. He's going to be slow foot. But if you're a smart basketball player, you play hard, your IQ is way up there. Like, you're going to survive at the very least, and you can't get picked on. Grant Williams is kind of the same deal. Um, but, yeah, that's, that's a good stereotype or model of what type of player you can get. And, yeah, he was super productive in college. That's why he's probably going to go that high, because like people believe in him. But there are other guys who kind of were like that where it's okay. Just, just smart out high IQ guys who are going to like when cam Johnson came in and Monty was just like, this guy's like, I don't have to babysit this guy. This guy's ready to go. And yeah, maybe they contribute only 10 minutes a game in year one, but that's still going to have value. And then it's going to have value in the years down the road.
1: I just would target smart, hardworking basketball players, and then just hoping the development pans out from there. So if they, again, I focused on guys that are more developed uh, in their early 20s. So we're talking about Shepard is 22 years old out of Belmont. Pojemski is one of the younger guys, but he's got a lot of skill on him already. Hawkes is 22. Chris Murray out of Iowa, I mentioned who almost certainly is going to go in the top 20. I would just be b- baffled if he falls beyond 20, but maybe... He does. I'm not exactly sure. I listed him anyway, just in case the Suns are able to get to 25 to 30. He'd be absolutely perfect for what they're looking for. He's in the same kind of vein, though, where smart, skilled, a lot developed to him already and is hardworking. And look, if they're able to, to my point, if they're able to identify one of these 18 or 19-year-olds who is just who has a lot of skill to him and works hard, that's what they need. But that that, that is what I would be betting on, essentially, because those types of guys are just... Like, whatever you want to call it, like low ceiling, low floor. I don't really do the low ceiling thing with anyone these days. But Andre Jackson, to me, out of Connecticut, is a guy worth focusing on with this point because he is a. Here are his averages. I'll go through this guy seven points, six rebounds, five assists per game. He shot 43% from the field, 65% at the line, 28% from three. So the numbers are just all over the place. He's not a shooter. His form is going to need to get reworked and he's going to need to be working with a shooting specialist a lot, but he is really, really, really good defensively. And he is an awesome passer. And all of it is just, you can tell he's the smartest guy on the floor at the college level. You could tell he's the smartest guy on the floor. Every time he was one of the few guys where I watched back a couple of games, I caught a couple of Yukon games in the tournament as well. And he just, keeps making plays everywhere just because of how smart he is and then he's really athletic as well because when you package someone like him who is that smart he's really athletic and then to go down to the second round guys again I just look at someone like Jalen Clark out of UCLA on the two-way side on the 52nd 57th pick part where he's arguably the best perimeter defender in the draft and you and I both believe that he passes the Aaron Holiday test for new listeners Seven years, six years ago, whenever Aaron Holiday won the draft 2018, you and I, U of A graduates, U of A lovers, through and through, watch U of A basketball, and we'll see Pac 12 prospects pop up. And if they jump off the screen, goes says, Hey, that could be an NBA guy. We declare yes on the Aaron Holiday test. And we say no if we did not. Aaron Holiday did not pass the Aaron Holiday test himself. Jalen Clark did to me, and Haquez did as well, because Clark just does a lot of glue guy things on offense as well. And he doesn't operate well when he doesn't have space, but if he's just attacking a close on us to make a smart play, he's running in transition, I think that he can provide some value offensively. Again, can't really shoot, but he is awesome defensively. I know they have Jordan Goodwin. I know they have Ish Wainwright. I know they could bring back Troy Craig and Josh Kogi, but bring him back another guy like that. Again, I just think if you put him on the floor, he is going to make impact plays enough to where he's a positive on the floor. And that's all I'm looking for, Kevin. Like, are you out there consistently positively impacting the game? And I think there are guys to be had here.
0: Yeah. Clark's a good one where it's like, even the offense that you do see, it just looks smooth. Um, The shots wonky, but like 2.6 steals per game. He's a decent passer. He rebounds active, Um, especially for a young player. It's like, okay, like I could see him doing things this year because he's a good athlete too. Um, any of the skill set to survive on offense. And then you maybe you get a steal who's actually develops into a starter caliber player down the road. Um, the, there are a lot of mocks, at least the last five days ago when I did this exercise where like Imani Bates was heavily mocked to the Suns and uh, Washington state, big Muhammad guy. I don't know how to pronounce his name. Sorry, but they're, I want to kind of have this conversation because those guys are super. Numbers aren't good. Just pure basketball stuff is ugly. The tape is not good. Um, Bates, I don't even know what you thought of them, but even in high school, I, I just didn't get it. No, um, neither. So I So that's the interesting thing because he apparently w- said he worked out for the Suns or was going to at some point. Um, and during the combine, he said he was planned, planning on it. And that's what has me curious. If you blow a pick on a guy like that who like that dude didn't even weigh 190 pounds at the combine. Defense, no, can't really defend wings anyway. Like he has to play with Book and Beal, so that doesn't make sense. Well, this is what the Warriors
1: have done, right? Like they took Kavon Looney when he was like a project, like power playmaking power forward, you know? And then Jordan Poole, a lot of upside, and then Kaminga
0: and Moody. They're a contender trying to hit big, but you strike out a lot. You strike out a lot, and also those guys had, in theory, um roles, right? Like Imani Bance's role is exactly what the three stars role is. So even if he develops into that, like I don't why are you worrying about the next iteration of this team when K D and Beal are washed? Like that, there's no point in that to me. So That's where I just don't get that. The fact that he might have worked out with the Suns is just confusing to me. I wouldn't even spend a moment of time on a guy like that. But, like, if Katie thinks it would be fun to have him because he knows him, I don't know.
1: It was just a heavy mock draft name. I I don't think there's much there, to be honest. Um, A couple of other names on the first round bubble to mention. Colby Jones out of Xavier just a good chunk of his value is as a playmaker and he's never going to, he would never touch the ball here. So that, that would just be a little bit of a trouble and like the score. It's more of playmaking than scoring for him, as opposed to someone like Pujemski, who I put on here, Olivier Mac Maxins, prosper, not a name I looked up out uh, of Marquette defensive prospect, really jumping up freak athlete, a lot of stuff there. Maxwell Lewis out of Pepperdine. If they want to go the score route, there's a lot of like, do you defend, do you play, make for others, all this kind of stuff, but the kid can really score. Jordan Walsh out of Arkansas is someone who has been looped into that uh, Jackson Hawkes kind of group as a glue guy. He's a little bit on the younger side. Jalen Wilson out of Kansas is the James Jones model of four-year player, does a lot of things right, all that kind of stuff, right, that he goes and not sure on the NBA skill set. Keontae Johnson out of Kansas State, I mentioned. Seth Lundy out of Penn State another shooter. Hunter Tyson another shooter as well. Strother, I want to mention before we go it was just like so cam johnson-esque reading the scouting report and then i watched him and it's like perfect footwork on every three-pointer he takes no matter where he is and i'm like what's going on here
0: (laughs) (laughs) even when someone's running into him yeah
1: (laughs) yeah and and then defensively there's a lot of uh shortcomings there as well i think that cam was a much better prospect but it's just the archetype of he is going to be an awesome shooter he makes smart plays on the basketball court but there's huge defensive question marks huge athleticism question marks but I thought he was ranked in the 40s, and I think that he's a borderline first-round guy just with the way that he shoots it alone. Anything else before we go, bud?
0: Do you think DA gets traded tomorrow? Yeah. So uh, I should get some rest? I don't know anything, but yeah. Oh, yeah. I've
1: been, like... Uh, yesterday, I was telling people um, that was I, I was down for a four-day weekend, and, of course, the Beal trade happened. I went on one of the shows on Monday or Tuesday, but then I was off the rest of the day, but I was telling friends and family and stuff. Like I'm ready. Like It's just like, I'm ready to get going. Cause it feels like there's another trade coming. We'll see though, man. It, I certainly think it's, it's leverage season all across and it's just impossible to read anything, but it's just, we go back to our
0: old friend logic and that's where we go. Keanu Pinder, Kevin, what? Ah. Huh. Uh, he did not pass the Aaron Holiday test either.
1: (laughs) Oh, goodness! Uh, That'll be fun to see him in summer league, though. Uh, And yeah, we'll see if there's someone significant to follow in summer league. We'll talk about that after the NBA draft. We will be again podcasting shortly after that. There will probably be an availability of some sort that the Suns hold. I would assume. So uh, not sure on the timing exactly might be closer to 10 or 11 or might be closer to midnight. We've done that thing at like 1am before. So we'll see how it goes folks, but we'll be back then. And we'll talk to you then. Goodbye.